Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, and no matter where you're dialing in from around the world, and welcome to the next edition of The Intuitive Customer uh, with my erstwhile colleague and friend, uh, Professor Ryan Hamilton. Round of applause. Oh, go on, you. <laughs> yeah. I told Colin I wasn't doing any more of these without applause. I had candidates. <laughs> yeah, I have to be a standing ovation next time, other time. Um, today, I believe we're talking about... We're talking about habits. So we uh, we try to make these uh, these conversations as freestanding as we can, Uh that said, we are going to rely pretty heavily on some stuff that we've talked about already with regards to system one and system two processing. So um, if you're really uncomfortable with those ideas or, or not familiar with them, it uh, might be not a terrible idea to pause this uh, conversation, go back and listen to one of the earlier ones where we talk about the two-system model of, of cognition. That said, you'll be able to keep up. Uh, all right, so habits. Um, Habits are defined from a scientific perspective as any time your mind prepares you to respond in a certain way based on some set of environmental cues or stimuli, right? So the easiest way for me to uh, understand and explain habits is by going back to system one and system two processing. So a real brief overview, reminder, uh, system one is our automatic, intuitive, emotional system. System two is our more rational, logical, um, overtly controlled system. And if yeah. you're, if you're familiar with, uh, Freud, then system one corresponds sort of to the id and system two to the ego that uh, oversees and controls the id. Um, yeah. so habits work by, um, system one taking over processes and making them automatic that were at some point, deliberative, right? So <clears throat> the way that I like to explain system one is, is that it's like a, a precocious little eight-year-old right, who is trying to be helpful all the time. So if you had an eight-year-old like try to join an adult conversation, um, they'll, they'll be trying to be helpful, um, and sometimes they will be, but a lot of times they will... Um, just kind of uh, uh, pop in with information that, oh, well, it's sort of related to what we're talking about, kind of, or um, you know, not, not exactly what we were what we were we were at, but kind of in the ballpark. Uh, system one is like that. It's always trying to be helpful. It's it's really trying to get in there and, and make things easier and make things smoother. Yep. And, and sometimes they do. Sometimes it does. Um, and one of the ways it does this is by making things automatic, right? Yep. So. Uh, if you've done things a certain way, so um, after dinner, you decide that you want a cup of coffee, right? So you do that, and then that was good. You enjoyed that. That was fine. So next day, you, you decide you're going to have another cup of coffee after dinner. Um, after a while, system one starts to pick up on this, right? So it's noting that these things are co-occurring a lot. So the end of dinner, coffee. So... System one recognizes this cue in the environment, the, the, the end of dinner, and yeah. it says, oh, I can be helpful here, right? I've got all this stuff that 
that I can pull up to make things easier and faster. And so I'm going to pull up this desire for coffee and kind of push that up towards the top. And now, anytime you finish dinner, you just you automatically have this response of, oh, I want, I want some coffee, right? So you've linked these two things uh, together through your own behavior, and now system one just facilitates that. It makes it easier, makes it more automatic, makes it faster. Right. So that's the so that's the sort of the the habit part of it. So if I uh, I always think if I whenever I pay for something, I typically stick it on my Amex card. Yep. I don't have to really think about which card I'm gonna pull out of my wallet. I just automatically pull that one out. Or um, if I've if I'm booking a flight, I tend to travel Delta. Um, and, and again, that's a habit. Interesting little story there. Um, we were doing some work up in Washington, D.C. a little while ago, uh, and I got uh, one of the team um, lives in Tampa. I live in Sarasota. He flew, he said, how did you get up here? And I said, well, I flew Delta, of course. Yeah. Uh, he, he flew Southwest Airlines, who, 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 who effectively, but he, he didn't have to have the layover. So my my habit that day caused me to another sort of three hours delay because I had to have the layover. So this is this not thinking part that you're yeah. referring to. That's exactly it. So, I mean, take the example of your credit card use, right? Um, yep. At some point in your history, that was a deliberative decision. You'd pull out yep. your wallet, you'd look at the cards that were available, and you'd yep. say, oh, for this purchase, which one should I do? Over time... Your system one noticed that when it was time to pay and you reached for your wallet, you were tending to favor the Amex card a lot. And so it linked those things together uh, so that when it noticed you reaching for your wallet or noticed that it was time to pay, then it would start pushing up these ideas, these memories, these feelings um, that you should grab your Amex card. Now, it's sometimes we, we think of hobbit, habits, not hobbits. Hobbits is a different topic. We'll talk about that later. Hobbits as well, yes. Um, we think about habits as being these like overpowering urges, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of times we talk about habits in the context of chemical dependencies. So like a okay. smoking habit or a drugs habit. Um, and so we feel like habits are just these, these overpowering urges. That's not the way habits work. Um, sure. Habits are just system one making a certain course of action easier, right? right. So it's pulling up these memories, pulling up these desires, so now you don't have to think about which card to use. You still could. You could override that, right? You could pick the Visa yeah. instead. But unless you deliberately use your system to to override that impulse, you'll just reach for the yeah. next card. And, or it yeah. will rain. My wife will turn around and say, you shouldn't be buying that at all. That overcomes right. that as well. <laughs> That's an entirely different discussion. I will leave that to you in your <laughs> The Intuitive Customer is being brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Your frontline teams should be trained on how they can practically influence customer decision using some of the psychological techniques discussed in these podcasts. To understand Beyond Philosophy's unique approach to the training of frontline teams, just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. You, and you talk about sort of chemical responses as well, because that's interesting. Um, because I'm thinking now of smell, so yeah. I'm thinking 
I go past a Starbucks and I smell coffee. Yep. That makes me then go, hmm, I fancy a coffee. Yep. So I presume that's the, I mean, it's Q, correct me if I'm wrong, it's Q, routine, uh, and then a reward at the end yeah. of it. So. Yeah. So, the, yeah, those are the three steps that, that are required to, to train system one up. Um, so the, the coffee is, is a, um, there's obviously a, a just a, a, a gustatory response. So it doesn't have to be habitual. You could walk by, you know, a, a cake shop and smell freshly baked cake and never have it been there before. That can still trigger a response from system one. So that, that doesn't have to be habitual. But if it is the Starbucks, then the cue of smelling the coffee or of walking inside might trigger this response of um, the same coffee that you always order. So that yeah. by the time you get up to the up to the counter, you can just say your order, you know, all whatever thirty-five bizarre words that yeah. Starbucks requires you to string together. Half of them not English in order right. to order your coffee. That just rolls off your tongue. Why? Because system one has prepared that, right? It's made that ready for you so that you yeah. don't even need to think about it. It just happens. And then afterwards, you get the reward of, of the coffee. Interestingly, so yeah, let me back up. So this this Q response reward, that may sound familiar if you have a pet, um, because this is the way we train animals, right, as um, this classical conditioning, just your dog does something that you uh, that you want, or you you know you snap your fingers, or you whistle. The dog has a response. Um, if it's the response that you want, then you praise the dog and you give it a treat. Over time, the dog puts these things together, and anytime you give the signal, it'll behave in the way that you want it to. Um, that's the way we train System One. Um, we're just we're training ourselves as if we were animals. Um, we just paired the cue, the environmental signal, walking into the Starbucks. With um, the response, the the information we need to make make the order, with the reward, which is maybe coffee, but also often a reward in a consumer setting is not having to do the work of making a decision. Yeah. Right? The reward for you in your Amex card is not having to spend those seconds and that precious mental energy trying to decide which card. Nope, taken care of, and that can be a reward unto itself. A lot of customer purchases are that way. So many clients of ours um, want things that are, I mean, customers want things that are easy. Yeah. Right? And therefore clients spend a hell of a lot of time just trying to make things that are easy or even going back to the the name of our book, Intuitive. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's therefore, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is goes back to this sort of whole bit of, Effectively wanting to, the human beings evolutionarily want, if evolutionarily is the correct word, um, wanting okay. to save and therefore create habits as a way of effectively saving, saving energy and making things. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the primary benefit of habits is, um, that we don't need to, to think about it. We, we save that cognitive effort and time and, and energy. Um, and, and we can spend that on other things. So uh, this drive for efficiency is very powerful, uh, and, and it can serve as a reward in the formation of habits. So once you've done that, and I'm now thinking here of um, something like Amazon, okay? Yeah. My son pointed this out to me the other day, which I, which I, I, I thought to myself, that's a really good point, um, which is he said that you don't, when you, when we go when I go shopping now, I don't Google things 
Yeah. Like Amazon things. Yeah. So, in other words, I just don't bother going, if I want to buy a, a book or if I want to buy, you know, whatever, I just go on Amazon and just search for it on there. Now, maybe that's because I'm a Prime member as well, uh, but maybe that's just part of them locking in my habit. But that's like the habit is I just go to Amazon because it's just a lot simpler. I know that pretty much the prices are going to, there's going to be some, you know, maybe there'll be something cheaper elsewhere, but yeah. gone are the days where you used to search through four or five different websites just to find out what the price of the video is going to be or whatever. I'm probably showing my age by saying video now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that could very well be be habit. I mean, so some people will go through that process deliberately, right? They will say, no, I could Google, but I'm going to choose today to search in Amazon because I already... And they do the calculation. Over time, that can very easily become an automatic behavior where it doesn't even occur to you to search through Google anymore because when the, the idea comes, oh, I need to look for this thing, then system one is right there and says, oh, I, I can help. I know where we should look. And it pushes those ideas onto you. Nothing's stopping you from Googling that and looking at other retailers. But system one has made it easier for you to do to search through Amazon because of the way that those ideas have been paired. The Intuitive Customer Podcast is brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Since 2002, Beyond Philosophy has been helping organizations improve their customer experience through their consulting, training, and research services. Find out more at beyondphilosophy.com. That's beyondphilosophy.com. There's something I've not talked to you about before, but this is an interesting thought then. Um which I'll be interested in your thoughts would be. So if you're, when you're creating the habit, so you're creating the habit and effectively system two or what we would call the rational system is not entering into that decision. So in other words, it's allowing that decision to go through. Mm -hmm. I guess what must happen is over a period, and I don't know how long, but either frequency or time, but because it's allowed that to go through so many times, that then becomes a habit. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly a way of thinking about it, right? So um, in order for these connections to form, usually system two had to have been involved in that, in allowing that to happen the first few times. Um, and then now, anytime that you're in that situation, system one's going to say, oh, I know what should happen now. Right here's this here's this thing. I'm going to make this easier. I'm going to bring up these memories and feelings. Um, and system two can just continue to let it go, um, or can try to resist it. But now the deck's kind of stacked against it. Yeah. Um, and the, and this brings up an important. Sometimes you'll hear uh, with regards to habits that oh, you know, if you can do something for 21 days, then it'll be a habit. Um, right. Yeah, that's bunk. That, there's just that's not true. Um, and it certainly the is. I'm sorry. It certainly hasn't worked for me. No, no, it doesn't work for anybody um, who who proposes that. Think about this from a system one perspective. So system one is good at automating things, right? That's how we, we do habits. But we've yeah. talked about some of the other things that system one likes, right? System one is hardwired to respond to certain things. Um, among them are a lot of the things that uh, that we form bad habits around, right? So, um, you know, food responses will resonate with system one, certainly. 
what that means is that if we want system one to provide us information, right, to, to push activities towards the surface, we should expect that if there are things that system one naturally likes, going to be a lot easier. Um, if there are things that system one naturally doesn't respond to, it's going to be a lot harder. So, you know, wouldn't we all love to have the habit of rolling out of bed and, and then run, going and running five miles to start our day? That'd be a great habit to form. Very, very few of us do that because there's no reward for system one in it unless you get to the point where you get that runner's high, which I, I'm pretty sure is a myth. I don't think that's actually a thing. Like there's no there's no good news in running. Anyway, yeah. um, if, if, there, if it's not that, then, then that habit that you want to form is just all downside for system one. So it's going to take a really long time to train system one to do that. If you get in the habit of eating a cookie after lunch every day, it's going to take like twice and the yeah. system is like all over that, right? So it is ready to help you remember yeah. to get that cookie after lunch. Yeah. Uh, now, now, you're, now you're feeding system one something that it wants. Yeah. So if you, if you start thinking about this from a um, practical perspective and from a sort of a customer experience perspective, I'm surprised that I don't see organizations talking a lot about customer habits. Mm-hmm. I don't see organiza- a lot of organizations going, we need to find out what our customers' habits are. They do research, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the research is, do you like this? Do you like that? Do you prefer this? Do you, how much do you pay for this? Do you, you know, and we, we talked uh, in the last um, episode of this about um, loss aversion and understanding what customers' expectations are and everything else. But I don't see a lot of organizations um, looking for the clues yeah. that would drive customers' habits. But at the end of the day, clearly, that's what they should be doing, shouldn't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've noticed a lot of interest from companies that I've spoken to, especially over the last six months or a year, um, who are very interested in habits but who don't know what to do about it, um, don't really understand it. It's, it's more along the lines of, well, how do we make uh, purchase of our brand a habit? Yeah. And that's kind of the end of it. There's no discussion about how reasonable that is, the, the various mechanisms that, that could go into that. Um, you know, when you're – I always fall back to buying toothpaste because toothpaste is, is a very habitual purchase for me. Um, yeah. When I'm in the aisle to buy toothpaste, System 1 recognizes that aisle – and says, okay, here's where it is. Here's the brand that you want. Here's where it's located. Just reach down on the shelf and look for that color, find it, grab it. Um, and there's very little processing involved there. For me, if you're selling toothpaste, I could be super interested in your ad, right? Your ad could be perfect. It could be ideal. It could speak right to yeah. me. It won't matter because when I get back to that toothpaste aisle, just – clicks over and this automatic process gets rolling and I just grab the same toothpaste brand I've ever done. So if you're yeah. not incorporating habits into your understanding of your customers, into how they process that experience, um, how they choose experiences, um, and, you know, you're, you're, you're going to lose out if you're reaching them the wrong way. Yeah, no, and certainly when we look at um, customer journeys, then when we're breaking down a customer journey into its uh, individual parts, understanding what's driving those habits and the cues that are driving those habits becomes key. But I, I know that you've talked in the past about um, 
the the way of disrupting some of those habits because that's the other key part of that. Uh, and although we can't show people on this um, this recording, um, you've got those sort of aisle stickers and and um, uh, end um, end caps. Well, yeah, you you explain it far better than I. So I'm just yeah. So from a practical standpoint, there's there's really two key issues that that businesses face, that firms face. How do we form habits? How do we get customers to to habitually buy us? And then how do we break habits? How do we get customers to not habitually buy our competitors? Uh, Both bits of advice go back to this basic model. You know, what's what are the cues? Uh, What are the responses? What are the rewards? With regards to disrupting habits, if you know that there's a customer like me who's always buying the same toothpaste brand and you want to get me interested in something else, um, you know, something like an end cap display in in a yeah. store would help a lot. So if, if I walk onto that uh, aisle that has the toothpaste, you've probably already lost me, right? Because sure. I'm just going to habitually reach for that same brand. If I'm walking in a different part of the store and see a big display of just your brand of toothpaste in isolation, well, now it's a different set of cues, right? It's less yeah. likely that my habitual response will kick in. I'm more likely to evaluate that toothpaste in isolation and decide, oh, this might be a good thing to try. I guess at the at the end of the day as well, there's a habit of going. I'm always going to look at the end caps of displays because typically they've got special offers on them. Yeah, uh, or and they're also just more um, visually prominent, right? So even if you don't have a habit of deciding to look at them, they're harder to avoid, right? They're they're just kind of out there and they'll attract your attention. Um, there, I mean, there are brands that have strategies around this specifically, so they'll. They'll try to sell to people um, when they're on vacation. Yeah. Um, they're in a different environment, different set of cues. Um, a lot of local stores will send you the, like the welcome baskets with all the coupons to the local pizzeria and, and the local um, dry cleaners and things. Um, you know, that's a, that is a really smart thing because you will rapidly get into the habit of figuring out which dry cleaner you're going to go to and which uh, pizzeria you're going to favor. Um, yeah. Soon after you move into your new house, and yeah. maybe a dry cleaner that's closer, but yes. if you're already in the habit of going to this other one, getting people to change is, is very hard. So, can you look for opportunities where these cues will be interrupted? We're so pleased that you're listening to this episode of the Intuitive Customer. As a listener, we want to offer you a free download of Colin's ebook, Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. Take advantage of this free offer being made available only to listeners of this podcast. Do it now. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast and follow the link for the free book. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And certainly when I used to work, so I used to work at British Telecom and when it was a house move, again, that was a moment in time to to retain that customer because otherwise you're going, I'm moving house, I might as well take the opportunity of, seeing what all the different offers are and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. If you think of a utility provider or whatever, um, then you invariably, I mean, maybe that's a different subject in itself, but you stay with that utility provider because there's nothing that's breaking your habit. It's only yeah. when you start having a poor service from them, and I guess that's when loss aversion and all that stuff starts to kick in, that you start to go, maybe I'm being, you know, maybe I should be looking around. But other than that, I'm just going to carry on um, paying the paying the bills each month. Yeah, I mean, it, so an economist would frame that in terms of um, 
um, switching costs, right? So if you're if you're a telecoms customer, you know you need to call up the service, you need to get arrange for an, another person to come out to your house. It's, it's just a hassle, and so you're not going to bother. You can think of habits in, in a similar way, right? There's there's no switching cost to switching to a different dry cleaner, right? There's no drive to a different store. Um, but if you a habit kind of creates an artificial switching cost where um, I've already got a routine and it's easy. Right? The habit has made it easy, and so I don't need to I don't need to to change anything that involves extra effort and time. And so we don't. Sure. And, and I know that in the book, um, there's a really good book, I forget the guy that's written it, called um, The Power of Habit. But yeah, Charles Duhigg. Mm-hmm. That's it, yeah, really good book. If, um, yeah, if you want a really good book, then read that. Because he would go on and talk a bit more about sort of how habits can become, um, well, corporate-wide, effectively. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's not just down to an individual. It, it's by the way... And the way that our best explanation of culture for me has always been it's the way things are that are done around. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's it's just the taking all those things and tying them together. Yeah, somebody um, uh, somebody told me a great example of this. Uh, I believe it was during World War II. Um, they were looking at uh, efficiencies in their, their cannon operations. Yeah. Uh, so they they had you know I forget it was a team of whatever six guys and they would um, you know load the the cannon and, and light the cannon and I'll be in a certain place so they'd be safe when the cannon was fired and they noticed that the um, that some of the guys would would go and stand you know safely back behind it and they would always put their hands behind their back and that so they were curious as to that well why is this um, they said that's the way it's done right it's, you know we need to assume this position it's safer it's you know it's, this is the proper way to do it. Um, they traced it back and figured it out. They ultimately determined that that this habit had been formed during these cannon operations during World War One, when um, uh, the the people who were in those positions would hold the reins of the horses that were used to carry the cannons, and they would uh-huh. hold them behind their backs um, to secure the horses so they wouldn't run away when the cannon fired. <laughs> no more horses at that point, but the behavior had been ingrained. It was this kind of yeah. cultural habitual response, like, why are we doing this? This is the way we've always done it. Why do we do it? This is the way we've always done it. This is like this cultural habit. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm now thinking about organizations and measurement, actually. Yeah. Because you go into an organization and you go, why are you measuring that then? What is it you do with that bit of information? And they go, I don't know, but we've, we've always, we've always done measurement, so we're going to carry on. So, anyway. All right, well, look, thank you very much. Um, uh, I think we're going to draw this to a, a, a close. Uh, so if you want to um, go and uh, read more about this stuff, we, in fact, we have a whole cha- chapter on habits in the intuitive customer, uh, then, then please go and grab it. Uh, if you are interested in um, uh, letting us know about any questions that you may have, then please just go to beyondphilosophy.com uh, and go to contact us and fire those over. Uh, and if there's any particular topics that you have in mind, uh, then, again, uh, let us know. Uh, that would be really great. So, um, Ryan, I don't know if there's any last words from your good self. Nope. Thanks, everybody. Oh, hold on. This is where we have to do the stand innovation, isn't it? Oh, right, yeah. That's <laughs> well, I, I kind of hear it in my own head all the time, whether Absolutely. there's anything else. Yeah. So we're fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Thanks very much, everybody, and um, look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks' time. 
See ya. Thanks. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>